excited about uh, going through First Thessalonians chapter 5 these last couple weeks and what God's teaching me about prayer. I was working on a sermon again for today about prayer and then realized, wait, it is Palm Sunday. It is the beginning of Passion Week. So I had uh, made a midweek switch and started studying again on uh, this amazing event of the coming of the King. And so that's why we're not going to be in Thessalonians today or next Sunday. Just going to focus on the resurrection and the Passion Week. So let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your sovereignty and your goodness. And Lord, as we think about what took place in history, what's recorded in Scripture, and in other historical documents, the coming of Jesus and his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which in only a matter of days turned into crucify him, crucify him. Lord, help us to rethink and to think correctly and accurately about who your son is, Father who Jesus is, who this king is, riding on a donkey, even the colt of a donkey, humble. So we ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning as only you can. And Lord, that you would, you would check our hearts to see if you indeed are on that throne of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wondered if you uh, you have children in your life, and you at one time yourself was a child, if you've paid attention to them lately, and watch what happened as they go about into a new situation, or you take them to the grocery store, or you take them to the restaurant, or you take them to grandma's house. And if you'll notice that uh, when they come to a new place, they're doing some research and they're doing some discovery to find out who's in charge. What they really want to know is if their kingdom reigns in this new place. Think about that. They want to try and find out what their boundaries are and who's in charge. And then little children grow into young people, which in turn into teenagers and then adults. And isn't it just the same? Aren't we always trying to see if our kingdom reigns? And aren't we always trying to protect our little piece of the kingdom? And we want our little ducks in a row, and we want it to be just so, because we're in charge, and we're the king of our own life. Interesting as we come to Passion Week, and we read about the triumphal entry, which was really not so triumphal at all, because there was no army, there was no swords, there was no team of stallions, mustangs, brilliant white and gold shields. There was just uh, Jesus riding on a donkey. 
riding on the foal of a donkey. And so it's interesting as he, uh, the story is recorded in each of the Gospels about this triumphal entry of the king. And I want us to be thinking throughout, do you have a king or are you the king of your own little kingdom and your own little life? If you were going to track your life down through being a child and moving through the stages, where are you at today? Have you recognized that Jesus is the king? Or are you still fighting to protect your little realm? To promote your little piece of property? To promote your name? To make your name great in your own little kingdom? And so we have some things to ponder as we think about Jesus and the Jewish expectation. And we realize he grew up as a Jew. He is sent to the Jews. And there was an expectation. And I'm just going to blip through some of the scriptures. So I'm not in one particular passage. But the, uh, the triumphal entry is in Matthew 21. It's in Mark 11. It's in Luke 19. And it's in John chapter 12. And in each of these recordings, they record different parts of the same story. Different people remember different things about it. But basically, they're pointing to the fact that Jesus is the king. And throughout the, his time on earth, when he, after he came up out of his baptism by John the Baptist, people tried to make him king. There was a Jewish expectation. I'm just going to read a couple verses here. In uh, The first one's in Mark chapter 15. And just a little sentence in 15. It says in chapter 15, verse 43. It says, It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So even, as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. This was after Jesus had died. And Joseph was going to go and care for the body. But the point is, it says that Joseph of Arimathea, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, all the way from the Old Testament through the Jewish people, there's the expectation in the teaching of Scripture that a king would come, that one in the line of David would come as king, and he would reign and he would rule. And we know that Mary is in the line of David. And we know that Joseph is in the line of David. And Jesus was called the son of David. And they said, Hail, Hosanna to the son of David. So they recognized him in that sense, but they still didn't recognize him. They thought that he was in a king and he was coming to do what they wanted him to do. They wanted him to remove the Roman rule from over themselves and basically, so they, they could have free reign. They basically were the first, in some sense, no, every generation has been this, but they're the I generation. Me, my, and they had this idea of entitlement that Jesus was going to come. They would make him the king they wanted him to be, and he would serve them and basically bring them the peace and throw off the Roman um, rulers and that the Jew and the Jews people would be king. So the same type of idea as a little child. This is mine, 
and I'll protect what's mine. That might be yours, but I'm going to take what's yours and make it mine. And that's how we think. And so there was this expectation. In uh, Luke chapter 17, let me just read this. In Luke chapter 17, it says this in verse 19. Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. So there's this expectation, even among the Jewish leaders and among the common folk, every Jewish maiden hoped that she would become a wife and become the mother of the Messiah. So there's this great expectation. But the Pharisees even asked him, when the, kingdom, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, Here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is upon you. The kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is within you. And the kingdom there, he's not describing a place as much as he's describing a rule. That Jesus is a king. And he has a rule, and where his rule reigns, there is the kingdom of God. Not a particular place, a geographical location, but a spiritual realm, a realm of his ownership and his authority. And so just like with the child trying to discover what's the reach of his realm, and am I here and am I in charge or am I under authority, the same thing every human being needs to ask almost every day. Am I under authority? Do I have a king? Or do I get to have free reign? Can I do what I please with my passions and my gifts and my talents? Or do I answer to anyone anywhere? Or do I call the shots? So there's this expectation of Jesus, uh, of a Messiah coming, of a king coming, and a kingdom in Luke chapter 19, it says this in verse 11. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So there's a lot involved in the fact when Jesus came on a, on to, into Jerusalem and tells us in the story that Lazarus was there. And people wanted to see Lazarus and they wanted to see this miracle worker who had raised Lazarus from the dead. And there was this great expectation that had been simmering for years that maybe he's the Messiah, maybe he's not the Messiah. Remember John the Baptist sent back a message after he was in prison. Are you the one or are we to look for another? And so there's this expectation of Jesus coming. It's interesting, if you look at in the Gospels, if I was to ask a question, what is the most central theme of Jesus' teaching in all of his teaching? You could ask a question and we could get some answers like, well, it's about love. Just love, love, love. Well, maybe, but if you knew about the Gospels, there's only a couple small places in the Gospels that Jesus mentioned love. What about forgiveness? Well, that's pretty good too. But again, not that love and forgiveness aren't important, but they're not even close to the central theme of Jesus' teaching. Each of the Gospels kind of do a little summary. So I will have you turn to this passage in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. 
So turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, and we'll see that Mark gives us in the beginning of the story a little summary of all that Jesus was going to do and all that Jesus was about and Jesus' central theme. And we can't look at every verse, but again and again, this theme comes up in Jesus' life. And we kind of missed it in, in some ways. We miss it because just like the little child, we're not asking, who am I here to obey? Who should I respond to in this new place who's going to tell me the parameters? I am in charge, and I'll wait till you stop me. And if you don't stop me, I will rule and reign. Think about it. Think what's happening in our world today. And the only thing that's stopping people nowadays is force. Jesus comes as a lowly king with an upside-down kingdom. And rather than stopping people with force, he does stop them with love and forgiveness and humility. And he comes and says, yes, I'll be your king. But I'm going to ask you to submit your life. I'm going to ask you to cooperate. I'm going to ask you to willingly step under my authority. Otherwise, you've got a different perspective of kingship. You know how the Muslim faith was spread, not with love and forgiveness, but as the point of a sword. And if you wanted to spread Christianity, just line a few people up and say, either you become a Christian or we lop off your head. Jesus comes along and says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Jesus comes and he says, deny your life, deny yourself. What does it profit a man if he goes the whole world and forfeits his own life? A radically different kind of kingdom and a radically different king. So in Mark chapter 1, in verse 14, in Mark kind of summing up Jesus' ministry. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. This is um, the, the language of epochs, the language of unfolding, the language of the time now and the time to come. This was the time then. This is the new time. And Jesus said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. I'm going to go on and look at a couple other verses and then we can come back to this statement. But in, in Matthew chapter 4, also Matthew gives an overview a little bit. So Jesus came preaching and teaching the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 4 says this in verse 23. Matthew 4, 23. I'll start with verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what you have heard we did in Copernicum. I'm, uh, I wrote down the wrong reference. Okay, so let me give me one second to find the right reference. 
Wow, that's a, that can throw a guy off. <laughs> you know what I did? I went to the Gospel of Luke instead of the Gospel of Matthew. So I wrote down the right reference. I turned to the wrong book. So now I'm in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And this is what he did. He went and teaching and preaching about the kingdom, that he is a king and that there's a kingdom. And he's at the initial inauguration in a sense of a takeover of Satan's realm, the God of this world, the God of this age, and now a new king is coming on the scene. In Matthew chapter 9, it says this in verse 35, Matthew 9, 35. I better read from uh, verse 27. Jesus went on from them. Two blind men were calling out. So Matthew 9:27, "Have mercy on us, son of David." Where he had gone when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and asked him, "Do you believe that I am able to do this?" "Yes, Lord," they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, "According to your faith, it will be done to you." And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, "See, that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed, who could not talk, was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So he went about preaching and teaching the kingdom. And last week we talked about even the prayer when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. He said, when you pray, this is how you ought to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Sometimes we spend all of our time worried about all except Jesus so I can get to heaven. When he's telling us, you know what? We want to bring heaven down here. Let your kingdom come on earth. Let your will be done as it is done in heaven. And think about that little child again. Who's you and who's me? Thinking about our own kingdom. Running around to secure our own stuff. Thinking about our own protection. Our own um, promotion. And how that just continues to spiral out of control unless we recognize that it's His will and His kingdom. And walking with Jesus isn't just a ticket to get to heaven. If that's your idea, then you totally missed who He is and what He came for. 
He came that his will would be done on earth. He came that he would rule your heart and rule my heart and rule our hearts. And anywhere you see any kind of difficulty or problem on the earth today, you could trace it to self-centeredness and you could trace it to me, my, and I rather than him, he, and his. And wherever we reign, wherever our kingdom and our rule tries to get a hold of, whether it's in our marriages, in the people we claim to love the most, when we put ourselves first and we try to rule and reign, it causes pain and problems. And so he came that he might reign. He came that his will might be done. In Matthew chapter 10, when he was sending out some of his disciples, Jesus' instructions to his followers. So this was after he trained them and spent time with them, and while he was still training them, he gives them instructions in Matthew chapter 10. And I'm going to read from verse 5. It says, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. And he said the word preach is the same word as proclaim. So it's meant yell it out, proclaim it. The kingdom of heaven is near. So whatever you're going through, whatever I'm going through, whatever your relationship is at, wherever you are at right now trying to... Pro, uh, there's a word, um, Brandon, you're the teacher, help me out. A word that would mean that I'm trying to take care and manage my... It starts with a P. There's promotion, but uh, procure? Procure. That we spend most of our life trying to procure our little security. Because we don't have a king. Because we're king of our own little realm. And that's upside down. And so we're fighting and scrapping for everything we can get. And Jesus says, no, come unto me. You who are weary and heaven laden, let my yoke be upon you. And not the yoke that's going to burden you down that you still, but the yoke of freedom. That you don't have to worry about self-promotion procure your little piece of property that we have a king and his name is Jesus and he's won the war and so he tells them to go rather and preach this message the kingdom of heaven is near and so the kingdom of heaven it didn't come with swords and guns and weapons look at what it says heal the sick raise the dead cleanse those who have lepers Drive out demons, freely if you receive, freely given. It's an upside down kingdom. And we talked about the principles of the kingdom in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are who? Blessed are the powerful? No, blessed are the meek. Blessed are who? Blessed are the rich and famous. Blessed are those who are the, the greatest in your communities, the best looking, the strongest, the healthiest. No. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you recognize, when we recognize, we're not the king. 
We're not in charge. There is a king who came. If we have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand, we'll recognize that he's the king. We'll give up our constant fight for rule and reign and authority, and he'll guide and lead us. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called sons of God. An upside-down kingdom and an upside-down king coming riding on a colt of a donkey whose greatest cheers are the little children. You go on in Matthew in chapter 12, and um, again there was a confrontation where Jesus was teaching, and he cast a demon out of a, a person, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees says, well, in verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Every city or household divided against itself will not stand. So the duplicity of the dumbbell-minded person who thinks that he really is in charge, that he's sovereign, he's living in a divided kingdom because there's only one who's sovereign. So if you're having lots of difficulties in your life, you probably don't even realize you're trying to run your own show. And you told God to go. And he's saying, listen, I'm the king if you would just cooperate. So if Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? But if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When there's a new ruler, when any person submits their life to Jesus Christ and they put him on the throne, he begins to straighten out what's messed up. He begins to fix what's broken. He begins to repair things in our lives when we put him in his proper place on the throne of our life, giving him his rightful place to direct, to own. Your marriages, my marriage, our communities, our families. God's the king. We're underneath. And we look to him for leadership, for protection, for direction, for authority and ownership. Things change. He rules and reigns in our lives and straightens out the messes we've made of them couple other references. In Luke chapter 18, it says this, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like all the other men, robbers, evildoers, adulteries, 
Or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for, there, for the kingdom of God begins as such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like this little child will never enter it. In a sense, a child is needy. They need direction. They're looking for direction. And he's telling us, become like a little child, not in the sense that we have no brain anymore, but that we recognize that we need him and we look to him as the king he is. A couple other verses as we wrap this up. Luke chapter 17, in verse 17, it says this, Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to them, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, in the sense, he was telling them, You're not going to establish it. By all your preparation, all your planning, all your ruling and reigning and trying to organize and orchestrate your own life, the king is going to come and he's going to turn that upside down. Think about what we're saying to him. We're saying, Lord, our plans, our management of our own life is much better than yours. We don't need your help. And we say, well, this is the kingdom. He says, no, the kingdom of God is within you in the sense that he came to bring his rule and his reign. And the kingdom of God is not a place. The kingdom of God is where he rules. Does he rule in the United States government? Does he rule in our communities? Does he rule in our homes? Does he rule in our marriages? Marriages? And our families, or we, do we pretty much have this figured out? And we tell them, we'll call if we need you. And we basically want to run our own show. You know, when he came and they wanted to make him king time and time again, said they came to make him king and he hid himself. Think about the advantage that Jesus Christ could have taken of men and women and communities and kingdoms if he had so choose to be that kind of king. But he said, to, he said himself that my kingdom is not of this world. It doesn't operate by this world's standards or his servants would fight to make it happen. And he says in another place, for this reason I was born, 
You are right in saying that I am a king. For this reason I was born. For this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. But he's a different sort of king. He's a different sort of king. He's not the kind of king that's going to come and grab you by the back of the neck and smash your face to the ground and force you to submit. He's going to put his hand on your shoulder. He's going to speak to you, but he's going to be inviting you to submit, to cooperate, to recognize his rule and his reign in our lives. And Jesus was ushering in the kingdom of God. He was claiming to be the inauguration of God's sovereign rule on earth. I'll end with one simple illustration. A few years back, and some of you know the date, but what does D-Day? You teach history? Okay, D-Day. If I understand it right, it was a massive preparation of an invasion that would happen on the beaches of Normandy. Five different armies massed together for D-Day. What they did is they attacked a 20-hour day and they planted the flag. And they said, this is our land. We're taking this. But anybody know, what was that date? June 6, 1944. But was that the end? No, it was just the beginning of the end. But the end was certain then, wasn't it? So V-Day, which happened 11 months later, was certain to come because of D-Day. But in the time that happened, more American soldiers died than in all the rest of the war during those 11 months. So Jesus is the king and he comes. And he wants to reign in your life and my life. But the battle isn't over and yet it is. You need to take up your cross. You need to deny yourself. You need to follow him. And you need to be what he tells us we are. The salt of the earth, the light of the world. His kids. His kingdom kids. So we live between this time yet the kingdom is here. The kingdom is hand. The kingdom is within you. And yet the kingdom is not yet. So we live in this time of tension between the now and the not yet. Yes, he's the king, but he came to die. He came to lay down his life. And he asks us to follow him in that. Not to promote ourselves ever we go, but to point to him. But it's a certainty that whatever you're going through, he wins in the end. His flag is planted that he's the king. And he's going to win in the lives of his children. Father, we're thankful. We're thankful as we enter this week, we can ponder afresh and anew Jesus and his message. Jesus and his upside-down kingdom. What do we do with a crucified Messiah? Doesn't even make sense. What do we do with a king who has his beard pulled out and his face spit upon, slapped? 
What kind of king is that? Lord, your message has turned the world upside down. Your message of grace and freedom. Your message that you're the king and we're not. Help us, Lord God, to recognize that you have secured the territory. You have planted the flag. We are yours. We've been bought with a great price. No need to struggle. A clear need to lay it down. If you're here this morning and you have had the Lord speaking on your heart, you know he's not the king reigning over your territory. After the service, while people go off to eat cake, maybe you want to sit quietly. Some people can meet you up by the piano, pray with you, talk with you. But don't let another day go by trying to run your own life. Recognize that Jesus is the king. Your king. Make him your king. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Stand with us as we close.